1: Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle, stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your
0: podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, the recent indictment of Atlanta-based rappers and others allege a criminal enterprise run by street gangs. Now here's Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis from last week's press conference.
1: We are proud to bring forth this indictment and hopefully to bring justice to a lot of the community who was victimized through the course you see in this indictment. But more importantly, the most important thing that we are here to do is to keep this community safe. And we believe removing these 28 defendants will keep Fulton County safer.
0: Today, I'll speak with investigative journalist George Sheedy, who's been covering Atlanta street gangs and the neighborhoods they operate in. There's a lot here, a lot of backstory, folks, so stay tuned. Plus, we conclude our college graduate's profile from Spelman College. Today, it's Alexandra Warner, a health sciences major. She'll share her story of a tragic accident that nearly took her life and how it shaped her career pursuit. Those conversations coming up. But first, this. Today is the final day of in-person early voting for Tuesday's primaries in Georgia. Nearly 700,000 voters have already cast a ballot. That's about 10 percent of registered voters in the state, as we hear from WABE's Raul Bally. A steady stream of
2: voters have been coming in and out of the Briarwood Recreation Center, including Roberta from Brookhaven. I voted early because I'm a nurse and I never know what my schedule is going to be. I won't know if I'm going to be
1: able to get out on time on actual voting day, May 24th, so I came early to be sure that I got to you know, vote.
2: Other voters have mentioned that it's faster and more convenient to vote early, along with being busy with end-of-school-year events. After today, in-person voting will only happen on Tuesday for the Georgia Democratic, Republican, and nonpartisan primaries. Today is also the final day to put an absentee ballot in a drop box. After today, absentee ballots can be taken to a county registrar's office, but only during operating hours until 7 Tuesday night. Raul Valley, WABE News.
0: So let's stay with the upcoming primaries for a moment. Next Tuesday, as you know, Georgia Republicans will weigh in on who should challenge Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock this November. It's a crowded field, but former University of Georgia football star Herschel Walker has managed
3: to break away from the pack. WABE Sam Greenglass was in Macon and filed this report. Walker's campaign has rarely advertised events to the press. That changed this week with a rally at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. Just inside the front doors is a big glass case with Walker's jersey and helmet.
2: Well, I was in Knoxville in 1980 for Herschel's first game, the game he broke out and and became a legend.
3: Walker's celebrity has drawn many GOP voters, like Steve Veder, into his camp.
2: And I told him my seats today were a lot better than they were in 1980.
3: Plenty of attendees came with hats, posters, and signs for Walker to autograph. And though Walker talks about inflation, crime, and the border, overall, his stump speech is light on policy. Instead, he talks about how his story represents the American dream. Okay,
2: guys, it's time for five questions. Outside, I asked
3: Walker about one policy issue, abortion. Would he support a total abortion ban without exceptions? Should Roe v. Wade be struck down?
2: No, there's no exception in my mind. Like I said, I believe in life. So and no I do it, no
3: or... exception. Unlike some other Republicans backed by former President Donald Trump, Walker has not leaned heavily into false claims about election fraud. But asked whether Joe Biden was lawfully elected president of the United States, he had this answer.
2: Well, I, I, don't, I don't know whether he, I, I think there was some problems. I do think there was problems. That's the reason right now everybody's so upset.
3: Walker has also been dogged with questions about whether he's inflated his business success and academic record he's also faced allegations of domestic abuse. For his part, Walker says he's been open about his struggle with mental health. While these questions don't appear to have deterred many primary voters, if he gets the nomination, they will certainly keep coming up as the general election begins. Sam Gringlass, WABE News, Macon. In
0: other news, a major automaker is expected to announce a giant new electric vehicle manufacturing plant in Georgia. Today, let's hear from Molly Samuel. The company will invest more than $7 billion and hire as many as 8,500 people, according to state sources speaking with the Associated Press. That would make this plant in Bryan County near Savannah bigger than the Rivian electric vehicle plant that was announced last year. That one would be built just east of Atlanta with a $5 billion investment and $1.5 billion in incentives to bring it here. Hyundai already has one manufacturing facility in Georgia, the Kia plant in West Point. Electric vehicles have been a priority for the Biden administration to address climate change. Georgia officials have also prioritized this growing industry to bring more of it here. Molly Samuel, WABE News. And finally, it's been a long time since the Atlanta Dream started the WNBA season with five wins and one loss. Well, if the Dream went tonight against the Washington Mystics... That will be the case. Rookie Ryan Howard leads the league in scoring with 20 points per game. Tip office tonight, 730 in College Park at the Gateway Center Arena. Don't want to drive? Take Marta and the free ATL SkyTrain to the arena. Go get them, Dream. This is Closer Look.
2: Support for
0: WABE comes from... The Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Last week, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, along with Atlanta Police Chief Rodney Bryant and Fulton County Sheriff Pat Labatt, held a press conference regarding the arrest of prominent rappers Young Thug as well as the indictment of seven others believed to be members of the YSL organization. Now, D.A. Willis said Young Thug, whose name is Jeffrey Williams, is one of the leaders.
1: If you look at the indictment, the crimes that are alleged within it go all the way back from 2012 to 2022. Um, I wouldn't say that it contains every act of crime that YSL committed. Uh, it is a significant gang that operates here in Atlanta, Georgia. And not every member became um, a defendant within this indictment, but certainly a ex- significant amount did, and certainly some of the leadership, which is what's most important. Um, we're not going to just target the children that are running out at the direction of leaders and not target leaders.
0: There's a backstory to all of this, and perhaps more will be revealed. George Cheaty, an investigative journalist and the publisher of the Atlanta Objective, that's on Substack, he's been covering not only YSL, but other Atlanta street gangs and the neighborhoods they operate in. George joins me in studio. George, good to see you. I'm so glad to be here. There's so much here, and and folks understand this. We got to begin with some history, as there are many listeners that have no idea what we're about to discuss. So that's why we wanted to bring you in. Uh, let's this is back up here. First, George YSL, which stands for Young Slime Life. What's Correct. the origin, the backstory of this? This organization, this group.
4: So, like, we could trace this back to uh, a street gang from Cleveland Avenue that was called uh, Raised on Cleveland.
0: That's in the city of Atlanta, folks. City of Atlanta,
4: South Atlanta, rough, rough neighborhood. Um, Folks there refer to it as Raised on Bleveland because Blood's gang members replace C's with B's. Um, That morphed through to something called 30 Deep. Which popped up in the news every once in a while, both mm-hmm. for violence and for right. uh, the blue jean bandits stuff from mm-hmm. some years ago. Which Just
0: a smash and grab, and yeah, and, of that they nature, would yeah. yeah
4: they'd steal blue jeans, high okay. high end blue jeans. The irony here: uh, the young thug has uh, a Calvin Klein, uh, you know, modeling contract um, that turned into YSL. Uh, And YSL for Young Slime Life. Slime because uh, the members say that they are willing to do whatever it takes to crawl on the ground in order to make a score.
0: Let's back up again because YSL, young thug, but his name is Jeffrey Williams. In the indictment, it goes back to 2012. So we should let, and just for folks, know, Jeffrey Williams is from Atlanta.
4: Yeah, Jeffrey Williams was born and raised in South Atlanta. Um, and they've been watching Jeffrey Williams for quite a while.
0: They being authorities. That
4: would be the police department, yeah. Um,
0: Was Young Thug, Jeffrey Williams, the co-founder of YSL, or did he become a leader in this?
4: So the indictment alleges that he and two others were the people who founded YSL as a a street gang, as an idea. Um uh, it, the truth is more complicated because things are always more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, street gang life in Atlanta is actually fairly fluid. There's a lot of crossover, a lot of neighborhood crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is he is said to have, have formed it with two other people.
0: I want to let our listeners know, too, because you and I touched on this before we came on in. I remember back in my reporter days on WAB Newsroom, I did a story some years ago. It so right after Hurricane Katrina. And I was speaking with a member of Atlanta Police Department. He was involved in the, the gang task force or whatever that unit was. And he talked about that there were going to be the rumblings of the makings of some issues with allegedly some folks coming up from New Orleans, from Katrina, trying to set their turf, you know, set their operation in some neighborhoods where obviously it might be somebody else's turf. And there are reports. So it's, all this goes back, even to some, you know, maybe a year or two after Katrina. What do you know about that? Are, are these other folks at play here? It sounds like it is. So it's
4: super interesting. Um, I was an Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter when Katrina happened, mm-hmm. and I covered folks who were coming to Atlanta from New Orleans. Um, so raised on Cleveland is really about. The local folks, the folks who were born and raised in Atlanta, mm-hmm. as a reaction to some degree, to folks who were coming in from wherever, but particularly from New Orleans, uh, the the city went through a, a fairly significant gang upheaval in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. when um, a huge street gang, uh, the um, uh, a huge street gang was broken up. Like and like the Black Mafia family, mm-hmm. which has actually been a, a, a television show sure. at this point. Yeah, um, the uh, that left a hole. And folks in, from Katrina, from New Orleans, started to fill that, but not just them. Mm-hmm. Atlanta absorbs seventy-five or 80,000 people every year mm-hmm. from all over everywhere. And those outside influences uh, have come to impact folks who were born and raised in the city. So a lot of this gang stuff is about defending turf from invaders.
0: In the indictment which says some of these criminal acts go back to 2012 but there is a a connection to a 2015 murder allegedly connected to young slime life the street gang what happened here because that's the most important one yeah
4: uh so we're all talking like there's a huge gang war that's been going on since 2015 that was set off by the murder of um uh, donovan peanut thomas Mm -hmm. uh, who was uh, identified by the police as an inglewood bloods og original gangster
0: from la from L.A.
4: But he, no, he's an Atlanta, Right. Like he's just tied to the L.A. crew.
0: Right. But you mentioned Inglewood. I want folks right. to know what like, we're talking in, yes, about. Yes,
4: Inglewood. Remember, like,
0: George, some people listening have no idea what I we're talking about, it. but we got to educate them.
4: I understood. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the, in the indictment, they talk about how young thug uh, Jeffrey Williams allegedly rented a car so that some other members of young Slime life could kill him, and he was killed on a street corner in Castleberry Hill mm-hmm. in 2015, early 2015, and that set off a wave of violence all across the city. Even though crime crime rates had been falling all through this period, like there was a spike up in mm-hmm. 2015 mm-hmm. that you can directly attribute to the start of this gang war. Um, his death split Atlanta's blood streets gangs in half, mm-hmm. like. With a, a group that was still affiliated with them, like, and primarily led by the YFN group, mm-hmm. which was based out of Summerhill, which is a neighborhood in Atlanta, and Young Slime Life, mm-hmm. which were apparently, allegedly, tied to a New York gang called Sex Money Murder.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and they've been shooting at each other ever since.
0: Yeah. I want to play a clip from last week's press conference where Fulton County District Attorney Fani Willis says, basically she's saying, look, to, the, to people. We believe that these street gangs, not just YSL, but maybe YSL, YFN and others are related to, or, or somehow connected to a very high percentage of violent crimes. Let's take a listen.
1: I've made no secret about it, nor any apology that as the district attorney of Fulton County, my number one focus is targeting gangs. And there's a reason for that. They are committing conservatively 75 to 80% of all of the violent crime that we are seeing within our community.
0: Your reaction to that and how, and listen, this has been back and forth, folks saying, look, 75 to 80% of all the violent crimes connected to street gangs, some question that.
4: I question that. So here's the thing, I've been looking, I've been trying to write a book about why violent crime has increased in Atlanta the way it has, and that's part of the reason I'm looking at this gang problem. Uh, and their gang problem is significant. It may be the very largest contributor to violence in the city. I think 75 or 80 percent is overblown. Um, in part because I want to see the numbers from the district attorney's office, like the specific cases that they can use to substantiate that. Mm-hmm. It's a silly, wild uh, guess. Um, the, I think the number is probably closer to 40 percent, which is still crazy high. Mm-hmm. It's still any number above zero is too high.
0: Prior to the pandemic, through your knowledge, how close were the authorities to being able to make something, at least have enough evidence to give to a grand jury or to make some arrests? Because we know then since the pandemic and everyone is in uproar about violent crime, folk and buckhead, some folk and buckhead want to succeed and all that. But prior to the pandemic, how close were they? So, because they came, real, they all of a sudden got close enough. Now,
4: I I think that the um, arrest of Christian Eppinger lit a fire under them. That I mean, they'd been investigating YSL all along, and I twigged to this because I was seeing YSL referenced in other indictments of gangs that was coming out of the and office. Christian. Kristen Eppinger. Kristen Eppinger is a YSL member mm-hmm. who, while he was being arrested on an outstanding warrant for an aggravated assault and uh, an armed robbery, shot uh, an Atlanta police officer mm-hmm. six times. Mm-hmm. That police officer survived, and but you've got 90 days to indict someone. Mm-hmm. And so I think they saw that as this is the moment when we know we can get them.
0: And then tragically, there have been other folks who have been consequences of these turf wars and beefs or whatever and the young woman who was killed at the bowling alley
4: so here's the thing like i had initially tied this bowling alley m- murder of lakevia jackson who is the mother of uh one of jeffrey williams children um i tied that to this ongoing gang war because i saw all of this crazy evidence of this tit for tat between each, like the families of young thug and some of his antagonists Mm-hmm. The police insist that there is no connection. The DA's office says there is no connection. But the
0: streets say otherwise now.
4: So that's the thing. I am I think I made a mistake. Like, I think that this might have just been an act of random violence. Really? Um I'm not I hold out the possibility that I am I'm wrong there, again, in the other direction. But I mean I, I want to apologize. Like I don't like I think Jeffrey Williams' family you know, is going through hell with regard to the death of this woman who had no violent criminal history. Um, it's a like, there's so much terrible stuff that's yeah. swirling around Young Thug. Um, some of it's self-inflicted like let's yeah. be clear
0: well yeah i want to get to that and by the way if you're just joining us i'm in conversation with george chidi he's an investigative reporter and we're talking about the recent indictment and arrest of uh, rappers young thug and gunna and, and about 26 other folks here uh, let's talk about gunna for a moment because yeah and and look the, the this 88 page indictment which you know i promise will we'll recycle at some point but it took up a lot of paper and i know how folks feel about that but look this indictment lists everything from folks and their social media and throwing up gang signs and lyrics and all that but let's talk about young gunner and his role and all of this alleged role and all of this gunner
4: honestly looks like he's sort of caught up um there he is not accused of an act of violence
0: mm-hmm. um
4: he is accused of like receiving a stolen handgun mm-hmm. um he uh, apparently was in the same place as a bunch of drugs, and so he's being charged with trafficking and um, in
0: participation in criminal street gang. And we should note that his name is Sergio Kitchens.
4: Correct. Yeah. Um, of the of the highest level, the rich guys who are involved here, I think he's most likely to uh, see light at the end of the tunnel, um, and it's because there's no violence that's directly connected to his 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 charges.
0: There have been some other. Um, Legal analysts who feel that the RICO charges, you're throwing a lot up against the wall here and, and perhaps hoping to get one of these folks to to to, to turn, flip. Yeah. flip, which you and I both know, a lot of folks know that, you know, that, that can go either way. Um, but also, after the indictment and arrest for Thug, there was seven new charges that came from the search of his house or a residence in Buckhead that he was renting.
4: I am blown away by that. Um, Because if I saw this like I am just some guy who's reading indictments and I saw that they were coming and I'm telling people they're coming and Jeffrey Williams family heard me telling people they were coming the idea that. Jeffrey Williams' lawyer didn't back a wheelbarrow up to his house and pull everything that might be incriminating out
0: before the cops come is just mind
4: blowing. Well, we to both me. know
0: of Brian Steele. I don't know if he's gonna personally pull the wagon up there but uh, maybe he's
4: doing his job he will. If he's the one guy who can walk in the door and go, Mister Williams, I am here for your illegal stuff. Like and expect <laughs> and expect him to hear, to be heard.
0: Well he also there was a hearing in terms of bond, which the judge said. No, we can't have
4: that. Especially after the uproar over Kristen Eppinger almost, Mm -hmm. kind of, sort of, not really getting
0: a bond. George, I want to focus on the communities that these gangs operate in. you and I have been around here for a long time, and we could have a whole, and we're going to continue to have a whole other conversation about how these communities are the way they are to begin with. Number one, where, where the youth have this lure and this attraction and this appeal to the street gangs because there are so many optics around that uh, and the lure of fame and, and being a, a rapper. You know, and these kids, you know, you, get, you know, I know because they've told me I got my studio time through X, Y, Z. They're going to put me on X, Y, Z. And on the flip side of that is, OK, if we can have some resources for our kids to learn about the music industry, Learn about, you know, okay, you want to be a rapper? Let's talk about beats. Let's talk about music, some music composi- comp- composition. What's the first thing that comes out of some of the, the, when the school districts have to make cuts? Right. So there are optics around that. When you talk to folks in the community. What's the reaction to this?
4: So I, the, the community is mixed because let's be clear, like the people who are dying in the street are young and black yeah. um, and poor. And like the, this community does not want this violence Like, we are not used to it. We're not willing to tolerate it. Um, It is not of Atlanta. This is something else. Um, And it it feels imposed upon the South Atlanta community by forces that are beyond their control. People are angry Mm -hmm. about the amount of violence. But they're also, like, we're talking about uh, communities that are cut off. Mm -hmm. Like, the poverty in South Atlanta is real. It drives violence in this city.
0: I don't know why folks act like they're surprised and they email me, why are you talking about poverty? I actually get these emails. Why are you talking about poverty so much? Really? Come on, people. I don't don't know where y'all live.
4: Virtually (laughs) every murder suspect who is arrested in Atlanta is entitled to a defense on the government because they can't afford it. We're not talking about people with money who are committing these acts of violence, broadly, um, and and so the thing is, like these rap groups are people with money, like and they are to, like a large extent, staying within their community. Now I could talk about how Young Thug's got a, you know, a place in Buckhead, and so do some of these other guys, but nonetheless, like they are still of Cleveland Avenue. They haven't abandoned it.
0: As I received a, a message from someone who says. Continually disenfranchising people is the root thug, and YSL are the symptoms. Now, look, I want folks to understand: we're not making excuses; we are giving you circumstances, and we're giving we're telling you how it is. But right. the reality is,
4: like, I believe that there's a, a really strong public policy argument to be made for being strongly opposed to gangs and do, using whatever tools are at your disposal because of the damage that they are doing to poor black
0: atlanta i want to talk about uh, in this instance where we're also talking about a community where now and i've had someone told me this morning a lot of folks not going to eat because young thug is locked up and if you don't know what that means it means that for some folks you know how they're going to make it because perhaps someone running with thug was the breadwinner now again there are a lot of optics around that but that's the reality of it, of what we're dealing with here.
4: Sure. But there are also some other folks who aren't going to be dead if gangs are taken off the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. I, and again, I'm a skeptic when I hear people who are in law enforcement make claims about how much crime is associated with any particular anything. Uh, the District Attorney Fannie Willis uh, claimed that you know the YSL, YFN gang war may have been worth 50 dead bodies mm-hmm. since it started and my first impulse is to say i'm skeptical of that but when you start counting 7 years forward that's mm-hmm. maybe 7 deaths a year and given the fact that i can look at 4 or 5 in the last 5 months mm-hmm. that i would attribute to this i i go yeah that number might actually be accurate and every time somebody dies Like, there's this ripple effect Mm -hmm. that affects their close family and their distant family and all of the other people who, like, there's a hole. It blows a hole in a community, and it robs whoever that person is, no matter what kind of, whether or not they were involved with crime. It robs them of redemption.
0: I also want to touch on this, George, before we we let you go, is because you, you and I grew up, i listen to hip-hop i listen to rap i also listen to everything will take us for the children from from beethoven to the ink spots to you know all that parliament funkadelic led zeppelin that was all in my house so but this correlation that you know the rap music is leading to the violence was the perception of the rap lyrics to the outside world yeah and let's be really clear, some folks who claim they about, and I'm, and I'm using the term so folks understand it, some of these artists who claim to be about that life and they're not about it at
2: all. Agreed. They're
0: just talking.
4: So there's a, like, of late, and this is actually a relatively recent phenomenon, like the music industry has been flipping that on its head. Uh, there's a sub, sub-genre of trap music that's called drill. Yeah. And drill is about authenticity. Like I am the person who's going out and shooting somebody, and I'm I'm here to rap about it. And eventually, somebody's going to shoot me dead too. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Drill cells, like, and that drill element is a big part of a lot of Atlanta rap right now. Didn't used to be. Um, and I question why music executives seem to be seeking out this authenticity in order to promote it. You know why. Well, sure, they can make money and it doesn't matter to them Mm -hmm. if you've got dead black bodies in the street.
0: And when these artists are either dead or serving a lengthy sentence, the streams go up. Somebody wants to do a movie. Somebody wants to do a, a true crime podcast by the way i have a segment coming up in the next week or so about <laughs> true crime uh story podcast yep. and then how that you know how that goes and, oh, and, and and profiting off the pain and suffering of people of color and es- poor people especially
4: since the initial investment is low yeah like you could spread out a bunch of like relatively nickel and dime money to a, a bunch of folks who want to get into the rap game one of them hits they make a lot of money you make all your money back and then some
0: what is the responsibility through your lens george let's 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 turn this up or is there and i have my opinion but i'll hold it to the ogs of this game uh, of this of this 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 genre i'm not and i'm even not tip and and you know and 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 jeezy and i mean even the o- OGs to say come on y'all
4: so it's interesting i uh Twenty years ago I interviewed K R S One. Yeah. Like From the Boogie Down. From the Boogie Down Productions. And that's,
0: that's why I like talking you. I can I can just be <laughs> I'll get an email. I didn't know you knew all this stuff rose. Well come
4: on now. K R S One is one of the founders of rap like he is well as old he, okay
0: as, now now we're gonna get yeah I know right, okay. no no no, 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 no he, fine.
4: he's Everybody's like overstating the that. he's
0: the prince I mean there were some guys there were and okay. sisters ahead well, of him and he's like the prince
4: I completely agree but as far talk about,
0: as the keeping it real and the conscious rap very I mean, much so you know yeah
4: so he was telling me like once upon a time like if you wanted to get into this thing you had to prove that you were the best rapper in your in your apartment building, right, and then your apartment block, then your city block, and your street. Then you'd get into the clubs, and then maybe a DJ would hear you, and then you'd, like, there was a vetting process Mm -hmm. that showed your authenticity and your skill. Mm -hmm. And the way the music industry entered into this, and this was uh, 20 years ago, he was telling me this.
0: And it wasn't really about money. It was just about pride, like, this is my neighborhood, my bro, this is what I'm coming for my folks. It wasn't about, I'm going to make a whole million, a lot of money out of this because they just weren't.
4: Right. Um, the music industry realized mm-hmm. that rap was selling. And so they bypassed that whole process to start picking winners based on like a demo tape or a mixtape that somebody heard. And that short circuited all of these neighborhood controls mm-hmm. over violence, among other things, mm-hmm. um, they started to see that, like their that violence would sell, and th- this was true twenty years ago. Oh yeah, like I think we're just seeing the metastasization of all of this. Like the worst, the
0: cancer has grown, and like it's hard to get past that. But should then there be an outcry of responsibility from these record labels? And let's be clear too. Now in this day and age of technology, social media, you don't need the big record labels these cats go and they create their own record label and they, and as they say they put folks on and then but at the same time too you have these big media i mean if calvin klein gave young thug a, a modeling deal right and has, has calvin klein come doing? out and said anything
4: uh, i haven't looked I, i'm going to look now take ysl which is a music label that is also a gang apparently um They are distributed through 300 Entertainment, which is owned by Warner Music, Mm -hmm. which is owned by a fellow named Leo Blavatnik, who's a Russian oligarch who's close to Trump. He gave a million dollars to Trump's inaugural campaign. He helped other oligarchs get past sanctioned stuff. This is the guy at the top, Mm -hmm. and you cannot tell me that this person cares deeply about a 19-year-old murder victim on Cleveland Avenue
0: and people and that's where the education comes in folks understanding how this works just like we hear with other artists these rappers some of them don't even own their own masters and then we gotta wait 10-15 years for them to get it's it's a cycle folks and I you know do your homework educate yourself before you just start tweeting about what's terrible and all that good stuff that's the only editorial comment I'm allowed to make noted (laughs) (laughs) George. Man, I appreciate it, George Cheedy, investigative reporter. Been covering you for a long time, reading your stuff. You, you keep, you send me emails. And I'm you deeply keep being, grateful me, for yeah, you. I appreciate it.
4: Like, and Atlanta has a treasure in you. I'm grateful to be here.
0: Appreciate you, George. Come on back. I will. And Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As we conclude our profiles of area college graduates, we're going to stop at Spelman College. Lawyer, voting rights activist, Democratic Material candidate, Stacey Abrams, also an alumna, spoke at the All-Women's Liberal Arts College 135th commencement. And here she encouraged graduates to be bold in their ambition.
1: But I'm also here to say thank you to you. Because as you commence... As you begin the next phase of your lives, as you turn those tassels and you throw those caps in the air never to be seen again, as you worry about financial aid payments that will begin in six to eight months, and you worry about the decisions that you've made, I am here to tell you, you're all right. You've done your best. You have learned your lessons, not your losses. You are on the cusp of knowing what you believe. You are ready to be bold in your ambitions and to lead the future.
0: And everyone has a story. I'm joined now by one of the graduates that was in that audience, the Stacey Abrams Address, Alexandria Warner. She recently earned her bachelor's degree, I believe I have this right, in health sciences. But there's a journey here, there's a story. And so now we welcome Alexandria to the program. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. How many folks were uh, came came to the ceremony to, to watch you do that, that that thing that y'all do that now, now that you're a Spelman alumna, you put your hands in the air and you do this little, I don't know, it's like a wave gesture. It's, I don't know what that's called, but I was, I was told I couldn't do it because I'm not an alumna, so I don't do it.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. I had nine of my family members come and support me during the graduation, which was an amazing honor to have. Yeah. Where are you from?
0: I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Why did you choose Spelman? in the first place.
5: I actually didn't start off at Spelman. I started off at the University of Pittsburgh and I decided to transfer to Spelman for a more supportive network and for better guidance with moving on towards my future and to have smaller classes where the teachers really know who I am and care about me and care about the future of their students Mm -hmm. and are able to avail their students of many opportunities that just allow you to better yourself and better those around you and better your community
0: before we get to uh, more of your personal journey i just want to ask you with the last 2 years particularly in terms of the pandemic and and virtual classes then on campus then back off how how did you well how would you let me ask you this how would you sum all that up that experience
5: yes the experience of going to college during covid has been trying to say the least Um, Being in classes and then also having to move online for classes is a little bit difficult. It's definitely a different learning style, a lot more self-led and self-guided. And then going from being online to being back in person was a little bit difficult because you kind of have certain study skills that are different when you're online versus when you're in person. So there's definitely been an adjustment period, but I was very happy to be back on campus this semester with the rest of my Spelman sisters.
0: I want to go back a little bit to a date, November 16th, 2018. Can you take our listeners to what happened that day and and what you feel comfortable sharing?
5: Sure, absolutely. So on November 16th of 2018, me and two of my Spellman sisters took a quick study break on a Friday afternoon and we went right down the block to go to Church's Chicken just to get a snack. And we went through the drive-through and on our way back to school, we were ended by a high-speed police chase going 80 to 100 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the back right seat and the car got smushed and then spun and hit a utility pole on my side. Luckily, um, all three of us are are doing fine. We are okay today, thank God. Um, But I sustained a a ton of life-threatening injuries, including a windmill pelvis fracture, my broken lower lumbar, I broke my right hip, um, broken rib cages, broken sternum, I popped my right lung, um, I had to have a splenectomy, I had liver lacerations, and then one of the biggest injuries that I had was my traumatic brain injury, Mm -hmm. and then I also, both of my large arteries were severed in the same instance, and so I lost both of my kidney functionings. So from that point on, I was uh, on dialysis, and I was in the hospital for about 111 days, just recovering, kind of in and out of the ICU. And um, I'm just happy and blessed to be here
0: today. When you think back to the, all those days in the hospital, and in, you're aware of of all of this, and and my goodness, Alexandra, you just gave a list that I uh, that I have never heard that one individual has received, and we are so glad that you are still with us. But when you think back to those days in the hospital, what was going through your mind in terms of, am I going to be able to finish my college education?
5: Yes. um, At first, it was very difficult for me because of my traumatic brain injury and such. I didn't really understand the severity of the situation that my body was in. Um, And I actually, when I look back, it's a little bit funny that you asked because I remember when I first woke up from the coma. I was in a medically induced coma for about a week, mm-hmm. and when I woke up, I said, "Mom, make sure that I'm registered for next semester for after winter break, so I can go back to school." Um, and of course, at that point, my mom didn't want to, you know, break my heart, and so she said, "Oh, of course, you know, but don't worry about that right now. Um, you know, we'll we'll get the semester finished whenever we can." And just my uh, my stomach community was so supportive of me in that, and. Um, so I think at a, at a very early stage, I knew that I did want to continue my education and I wanted to go back and I wanted to finish school. So it was something that was a very um, big motivating factor for me and just wanting to continue my education and, and get back to Spelman and rejoin the sisterhood in person.
0: But throughout all of this, too, Alexandra was discovered that you would need a kidney transplant and you were placed on yes. a, a waiting list.
5: Yes, um, that was probably... One of the most difficult things that I faced while I was in the hospital, because they originally told me that I was going to have to wait about five to seven years to get a kidney transplant. And uh, being on dialysis, I was on dialysis for five days a week for about three to four and a half hours um, and was very much so exhausted after my, my brain was pretty foggy just because of all of the dialysis and all of the things that my body were going through so i really was praying very hard for a kidney transplant and my mom actually decided that she would do a pair donor exchange with me so we had ourselves and then eight other pairs of people who had someone who was willing to donate for them but was not necessarily a match my mom was not a match for me anymore after i'd had so many blood transfusions so she was able to give her kidney to someone else who needed it and i was able to receive the kidney that i needed through this mm. donor exchange program. And it's been such a blessing because after I had my kidney transplant, my recovery sort of started to escalate and I was finally able to you know, do a little bit more. I had a lot more energy and I had a lot more clarity in my thinking and in my healing process, which really allowed me to be able to return back to school and start taking classes just virtually at first online.
0: How many surgeries did you undergo?
5: I've had um, about over 13 surgeries, um, um, some of them very major, some of them a little bit more minor, um, but around 13 surgeries.
0: You mentioned your mother, your family, your support from your sisters at Spelman, the Spelman faculty and staff. I know that uh, Reverend Dr. Guidry came, who's been on this program before, Spelman College president. Dr. Mary Schmidt-Campbell, others came to visit you. How important was that?
5: That was so important to me. And it really made me realize that I was in the right place. I was in a school that really cared about me, a community that really was able to uplift me during that time. And I don't think I would have made it without them. They motivated me to keep going every day. They would check in on me. They would come and sit with me and just give me some company. Um, My friends would do you know silly things like watching netflix shows with me Um, even though we weren't together it was still nice to be able to just commune with each other and be able to still be a part of the community even though i wasn't there in person and like you said just from the president to reverend to everybody was able to come and visit me and support me during this time. And it really just reinforced in me that I was in the right space and that Spelman was definitely the community to uplift me and to continue to encourage me to keep growing, to keep pushing and to keep doing things that um, even, you know, doctors didn't really expect me to be able to do, but they gave me that confidence that I needed and that support that I needed to say, you know what, I appreciate your opinion, doctor, that I might not be able to walk again, that I might not be able to. You were told you were
0: you you were told you may not walk again.
5: Yes. Um, And and you know that I may not survive or I may not move past the ICU or be able to get off of dialysis or things like that. And um, it, it helped me to be able to say, you know, thank you. I appreciate your 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 opinion. But you know, God and and my sisters and my community has rallied behind me, and I really do believe that healing is possible.
0: You had to relearn, in a, in a sense, how to walk, talk, read, and write.
5: Yes, absolutely. And it was very difficult and frustrating sometimes. Um, I oftentimes go back to simple things, like I could not even form the sentence, you know, Mom, can you turn off the light? Um, and I remember just pointing and saying "light, light," uh, and not being able to make that full sentence. And you know, it's so frustrating going from being uh, an an honor student, um, premedical track, very driven, very motivated, um, and then being at a place where your brain is pretty much empty and you don't know really where you are, who you are, you don't know how to communicate, and and that was definitely very. Um, It was a frustrating time, but I did a lot of work with my speech therapist, my occupational therapist, and my physical therapist, and have honestly been able to regain a lot of my functioning. So it's just been such a
0: blessing. And then, Alexandra, you're ready to return, to to resume your studies. Then this pandemic happens. And obviously, for folks like you, you know, for health reasons, too, you have to be concerned about that. How was that process for you because now you've got something else to deal with that you really can't control which is whether or not you can you're going to contract this virus and so you're doing virtual and you remain virtual
5: correct yes so I did my first semester back completely virtual um and I took a class the summer before that as well and it was completely virtual um it was definitely a little bit disconcerting it was a little bit um I would just say disappointing Mm -hmm. um, because I had just had my kidney transplant. And at that point I thought, you know, I'm going to have my transplant. I'm going to be able to go back to school. This is going to be great. And then the pandemic kind of hit. um, And my doctors pretty much told me, you know, if you get COVID, you will pass away. Or, you know, at the very least you may lose your kidney Mm -hmm. and at this time, you know, for me, it was just so important for me to be able to keep my kidney to maintain that health. So I did not go back to school in person. And I decided that I was just going to do school online. And actually, that semester, everyone ended up being online after about, I believe it was a month or two of school, and people were sent home. But it was definitely very um, anxiety rising mm-hmm. um, just because we, had this whole new issue to deal with COVID Mm -hmm. and I think it really impacted not just me but a lot of people Um, it took us away from being able to do things in person together it kind of took everyone away from being able to do their studies in person from getting that kind of one-on-one help in person that you kind of need when it comes to a college setting so it was difficult but and nonetheless, I think that the Spelman professors did a very good job mm-hmm. of reaching out to students and making sure that we still had certain events and services that we were able to do to keep that Spelman community strong.
0: And so when you think from that tragic accident, November 2018, and when you finally were able to set foot back at your, the institution that you love so much, Spelman College, it's it's 2022, pretty much four years. Was well, that a little... Uh, emotional for you did you shed a tear yes <laughs> yes and it's okay I if did. you did
5: i definitely did and it was it was very emotional for me because i wasn't sure if i was ever going to be able to go back um and when i spoke with my doctors and 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 my therapists and i consulted all of them and they said you know what i think you should go for it because um you know is going to be a part of our lives now every day and i don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon um and you know, we kind of have to learn how to adapt and how to exist in this type of society where we, you know, live in the present-day pandemic. And so it was a little bit difficult at first. I was very nervous at first. Um, but the good thing is that Spelman did a really good job of making sure that the students were vaccinated, that we were wearing masks, and had masks available to us at all times. And um, it it just it was really just heartwarming to mm-hmm. be back on campus with everybody else back. And to be able to go to class in person, it was just it was such a blessing, such a huge blessing.
0: What is next for you? Uh, I know you have uh, some research. You're going to be a researcher or you've done some work as a researcher.
5: Yes. Uh, Last summer, I actually was able to participate in a kidney medicine research program at the the, uh, Harvard. And I completely loved it. I fell in love. So I definitely know that I want to go into kidney medicine Um, Specifically, I would love to work with pediatrics, so I'm going to be applying to PA school next. And so that's what I hope I will be doing within the next year, starting PA school. And I would love to work with um, transplants and be able to help other people, especially young people who are African-Americans. We often Mm -hmm. are the ones who are suffering from kidney disease and we're the ones who need the most amount of transplants. So I would love to be able to work with kids just because for me, it was so difficult to hear from different doctors or different physicians assistants that, you know, I just needed to be patient Mm -hmm. and I needed to wait for the best kidney that I could get. And it was frustrating because, you know, they've never been on dialysis. They've never known what it's like not to have kidneys or to have to wait for something that large, Mm -hmm. something that can really change your life like that. And um, I think that it would be amazing to be able to repay the debt that was going on to me. Um, I wasn't ambulating and my my nephrologist took a step and a leap of faith. And she said, you know what? I think that this girl is going to be able to get it together. I think she's going to be able to figure out how to walk. I think she's going to be able to figure out how to ambulate. And I think that she's dedicated and her family is dedicated and her community is dedicated to her getting better. So she kind of took a leap of faith on me. Yeah. Um, and I would love to be able to do that for somebody else one day.
0: I think you will. And- as we wrap up, then when you talk about this whole journey, and I've said this before, you know, it it's not about the destination. It is about the journey. What is your message to someone listening out there about not giving up, perseverance, and grit? Because if anybody can talk about getting through something, it's you.
5: Absolutely. I, I would say that for me, the most important Bible verse that kind of got me through this is faith. It does not make things easy. It makes them possible. And so I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You're going to have terrible days where you wake up and you're going to be in pain and you're not going to want to, you know, roll over and get yourself dressed or go through that struggle of going up and down the stairs or figuring out how to get your life back. But it is possible. As long as you have faith in yourself and have faith in the Lord and have faith in your community and everybody around you, you can do it. And I think that that's the biggest thing that was able to help me was my mindset and just having an attitude of gratitude every day has been such a blessing. And I think when I open my eyes, just, you know, thank God that I'm here today and I Mm -hmm. get to spend time with my friends and my family and and get to continue to pursue um, my career passions and express myself. I just encourage everyone to just continue to have that attitude and gratitude and um, really be able to just believe in yourself and believe in, like you said, your grit and your ability to just get up every day and keep going.
0: All right. Alexandra Warner, Spelman Health Health Sciences Major, Class of 2022. Congratulations. Best of luck to you. Keep us posted. We have no doubt that you're going to do all the things you just talked about. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on here today.
0: And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razell. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And you know, Closer Look weeknights. At 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast, so subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Once again, congratulations to all the graduates out there. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air.
1: We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from
2: WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Valley. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform.
1: (laughs) WABE.